Hi, Travis Liebig, CEO of St. Louis Bank here. As one of the few remaining locally owned banks, we aim to fill the growing void of banking partners for our small and mid-sized business community. Due to decades of consolidation, community banks are fleeting, and it's more important than ever for business owners to understand the importance and the power of banking locally. When those hard-earned dollars are deposited with the mega banks, they can roll into centralized operations and be lent out elsewhere across the coast, having little discernible effect on the local scene. But on the contrary, when you bank locally, your dollars stay in the local community and reinvested to loans to other business owners, circulating those dollars back into the economy and having a multiplying effect that grows our future. Banking locally isn't just a transaction. It's an investment in the heart and soul of St. Louis. Business owners like you deserve a partner who understand your business, can be your advocate, and will be by your side through the ups and downs of leading a company in today's times. Just like your business, we're locally owned, well, banks like us share our mission with the industrious, hardworking St. Louisans, building the community we can all be proud of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Build St. Louis, the regional podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heart of construction and development and financing. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Information Works, and we're really excited in this episode to get to talk to our very first banker on Build St. Louis in the series and he is Gant Harper. He is president of St. Louis Bank, and his tenure at St. Louis Bank began in 2019 as SVP of Commercial Lending. And then in mid-2021, Gant became the chief lending officer, specializing in commercial analysis, liquidation, restructuring, tax accounting, auditing, and more. And a year ago, if I'm correct, I'm going to ask him to confirm that you became president of St. Louis Bank. Is that right, Gant? Well, welcome to Build St. Louis. I see that you hold a BA in Business Administration and Economics from Illinois College, and we're just excited to welcome you to talk through the topic, which is certainly relevant to the construction conversation overall, and that's how is construction being financed these days. I'm looking forward to learning if it's changed at all since the pandemic three years ago, or kind of how contractors, owners, and others on the project team coming to you to put deals together and break ground. So so thanks for being with us today. All right. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. And, you know, the construction industry from the banking standpoint, it's changed a little bit since the pandemic. Obviously, a lot of things slowed down during the pandemic. But what that did is I think it gave a lot of businesses the opportunity to spend some time working on what that next step for them was going to be. And a lot of them were hey, we need a bigger place or we need a new building or vice versa. During the pandemic, everybody went home and a lot of businesses realized, hey, we don't need this big office space. And so to some extent, the reverse is true. They had the opportunity to say, we don't need as big of an office space and we can have a lesser footprint in the building and still have a lot of people working from home. So it went a little bit both ways. And from the construction side of it, it allowed businesses to say, when things get going again, we're going to be ready to go. And I think that's what we're seeing now is when we came out of the pandemic, the economy was strong, interest rates were low, and these construction projects were teed up and ready to go. Wow. That's so interesting to me how you dealt with both. You sort of dealt with people decreasing the footprint they needed of a brick and mortar location. But then you also, like you said, you dealt with people who use that downtime to plan for expansion and growth. And that's got to be a challenge for a lending institution to wonder, you know, any given appointment, which trend that was or what needs were being presented to you. 
Yeah, it's definitely not uncommon to have one meeting with business or developer that's getting ready to do a big project. And, you know, we review it with them, get information on it as we get ready to get the construction loan set up. And then vice versa, you could be meeting with a developer or a property owner that says, I'm losing one of my big tenants. And then it's a discussion of how are we going to either repurpose the property or time to look for a new tenant, maybe give the building a facelift and take a big space and divide it into smaller spaces so it might be more attractive for more tenants. So yeah, we get to see both sides of it and both are rewarding in one way or the other. Obviously the latter, when somebody is, is looking to repurpose their building, that's happening a lot more. And unfortunately that's just a sign of the times. Sure. You know, when you said that, I thought of a question for you on, you know, I've seen former shopping mall spaces that are now occupied by churches. And I know in Fairview Heights, Illinois, they leveraged a lot of extra space and made a business incubator for small businesses and co-work spaces. And I wondered if there are other examples that you're seeing, Gant, of different users. Not It wouldn't even necessarily be a trend, but what are some other examples of people that maybe we wouldn't have, have expected to locate where they are today? churches are, it's amazing where they pop up. And, you know, obviously if you got a strong congregation and things are moving forward, you always love to have more space. So they definitely seem to jump into those vacant buildings when that opportunity is there. You know, we've seen car dealers try and go to these bigger facilities, but it might not necessarily be for a long-term thing because car dealers have to abide by their franchise and what the manufacturer wants to see in their dealership, but these vacant shopping malls are an interesting thing. And, you know, here in St. Louis area, we've got what was Jamestown Mall is, you know, getting close to being ready to be demolished. And then right. on the opposite end is Chesterfield Mall at the other end of St. Louis, where, you know, they're looking to basically repurpose that. And those are huge plants that both of them have to basically repurpose what 40 years ago we thought was something that would never go away. And I'd be surprised if there's many big malls like that being constructed. Sure. And you know, you mentioned Chesterfield Mall and I'm not sure if I have the correct concept for that one. Is that the one that they're going to be working on? Is it, was it like a proposed entertainment or sports complex? I'm yeah, trying to remember. There's another project that basically ties into, and that's not the Chesterfield Mall location. The Chesterfield Mall, the latest I've heard, is more of a mixed-use office space, residential space, some retail space. So, which that really seems to be the trend lately. We call it mixed-use, where especially on a multi-story building, the first level will be retail. It might be a restaurant or a different type of service business. But then as you go up, it's basically uh, apartments or condominiums and then there'll be nice common areas people socialize so those are some of the bigger projects that we're seeing right now are the mixed use type I find it so intriguing and fascinating because you had this sort of period where we were in kind of a forced hibernation for lack of better description and we were all working from home and you know that worked for a while and then you know I don't know if I can draw a solid line to this but now I see the success of those places where people can live and work and play but have that we see a lot of amenities too I mean coming into these mixed use projects and these you know upscale living spaces so it seems like at least for some sector of the population we realized we needed community and we were looking for spaces. Some of us are looking for spaces like that. Right. Yeah. Some of the bigger projects here in St. Louis, you see a lot of common area 
where social activities are there to try and draw people out and you know give them that better sense of community right there inside their own building. You know, definitely, I don't know if you ever had a chance to go through the Ballpark Village towers there, just amazing setup. And the developers are now making sure that when they have a structure like that, they're including the necessary infrastructure to make sure people can work from basically their home. Strong internet, fast speeds, maybe conference rooms, things like that, that they might need on a irregular basis, but it allows them that opportunity to basically work from home. Yeah, that's awesome. So in terms of construction financing, let's talk about some of those people that populate your appointments. And I wondered if in terms of regulatory restrictions, have we seen any, you know, I guess since the pandemic, do you as a banking institution have to work with a different set of or tighter set of rules than you did before? really changed that much. But what has changed is obviously it seems like the projects are getting more expensive. You know, they're bigger and bigger. And so what happens is a construction project inherently is a riskier project than a lot of the loans that you do because a final price that you're cheating for, but you don't know for sure until that project is complete that came in on budget or over budget or under budget. And the risky and unfortunate side of construction loans is that at some point in time going through that project, a contractor comes back to the owner and says, we don't have enough money. And it can be for a variety of reasons, but typically what we need to do is we need to make sure that as a bank, we're comfortable that not only the borrower, but also the contract can handle a project of that size. And then we do definitely get a copy of the contract, take a look at it. Is it fixed price to where we can be comfortable that if this is over budget, who's going to bear that burden? If it's for change orders or extras, you know, it's the borrower. But if it's just the contractor didn't bid the project correctly, that's really, it's in their court to cover that. So the projects are definitely more expensive. And so you're seeing a lot bigger numbers. And what we used to have in mind is a price per square foot for a project has just kind of gone out the window. And it's almost amazing the dollars per square foot that construction projects cost. It is part of that. I mean, it's just inflation, I'm sure, but also this whole screwy supply chain. Is that still kind of having effect on prices of materials or is it labor? What is it everything? Yeah, it really is a mixture of everything. Definitely the cost of materials, the supply chain. I think during the pandemic, a lot of people realized that reliance on getting products from overseas can be disrupted. And when that happens, it ends up costing a lot more money. There were some companies that decided having manufacturing overseas was too risky. And so they, you know, moved that back to the United States. So I think that even though it has an increased price, they can deliver on time and on budget. So it's still a better deal for the contractor to purchase something domestic. Labor definitely has a factor in there. Obviously, minimum wage jobs hit a jump over the past few years, but the skilled labor as well, it also costs more money to hire that skilled labor or that contractor that knows and has that niche in that type of building that you want to construct. So it's a multitude of things, but prices are definitely higher. And that just simply means that if apartments, if it's an apartment building or mixed use building, the cost to rent a retail space is going to be 
a higher amount. And then your rents, what might've been a, an apartment or a condo that rented for $1,600, $1,700 a month is now $2,100 a month. But the demand is still there. And you know the rental market is still very strong here in the St. Louis market. Yeah, that's amazing to see how robust that still is. Oh, I was going to ask you, this may be a little early to see this trend, but from a sort of banking slash real estate development perspective, high-rise offices and premium office space, I wonder if part of your folks who come in to set an appointment with you are maybe owners of, you know, Class A office the traditional ones down maybe in downtown St. Louis, for example. I've read a few stories on that where that's starting to come up. And I wondered if most of those leases might be more like five to eight years if we're not yet seeing the full brunt of vacancies that may be occurring. You know, we have a lot of different customers that have some commercial properties that might be on a five-year renewable lease or maybe a 10-year lease. And that definitely brings up the possibility that when that lease matures, your tenant may say, we don't need this much space or, hey, we're going to move out. And like I said, then it's a process for the owner to decide what's the best use of that bill. Do they adjust their lease and try and keep the tenant? Or if they do move out, what can they do to the property to make it attractive to either a new tenant or split it up so they don't have to hit a home run and get a big company in there. Maybe they split it up into a third, a third, a third, and they can look for a lot more different types of tenants because they don't need to fill one big space. Right. That makes sense because that would seem like a chore to find an anchor tenant or a literally one tenant for that. Is that something that St. Louis Bank can help them with if they just don't know where to get started with the strategy on that? Can they come in and talk to you about or who's their first go-to, I guess, on solving that mystery? So, you know, I think fortunately the owners of those buildings are well aware of what's going on. And so we might think we know some things and can help them out, but it's probably something they've already thought about. And we appreciate that as well. But what we can do is we do have a lot of different hundreds of different businesses that we touch on a regular basis. And we may know of a business that's looking for maybe a new location or if they had an opportunity to get into the right space at the right price, it would be something that they would be interested in doing. And when those things arise, we definitely are there to help our customer out and say, hey, I think I might have somebody that would be interested in moving into that space or moving into a portion of it. Or if you're interested in repurposing the space, I think there's a customer we have that might be interested. So I think that's where we see the biggest assistance that we can give that building owner is connecting them to maybe one of our customers if we know what their needs are. Sure. That seems like a powerful circle of networking, like you said, with hundreds of clients that you can help both of them, both parties, by putting them in touch with each other. Right. That's great. I had a bunch of these S&P st statistical questions to ask you, but I don't know if they're relevant. But just, you know, looking high level at just the trend in financing construction since three years ago, you know, just looking at some of those numbers we shared with each other about construction loans growing as a percentage of gross loans and leases. Has it been a significant increase, I guess, in the percentage of construction loans over the past, you know, speak to it regionally if you'd like or nationally over the past several years? Yeah a little bit earlier about how construction projects in general have increased in price. 
And so as a bank, again, as we talked about earlier, construction loans are risk because you're relying on so many different things to take place and everybody to do their part. And so the regulators want to make sure that banks remain safe and sound. And so when you get to a certain point where you have so many construction loans that it equals or exceeds your capital in your bank, the regulators might take a closer look make sure that we have the processes in place and our loan files are documented to show that we've done our homework to make sure that this construction project, we've removed as many of the risks as possible by doing our homework on the contractor, who the tenant's gonna be, does the owner have the ability to fund any cost overruns, or maybe we structured the deal to where, let's say it's a million dollar project, but we set aside a 10% contingency fund that could be accessed if there were some overruns or the project is delayed and takes longer. So the regulators and banks basically work together. And again, that whole process is really for the benefit of the depositors to make sure that the money they put in the bank is safe, which if it's FDIC insured, obviously it's safe, but we have to do our part and make sure through our process of underwriting, reviewing the different factors, and then structuring the construction model that we do our part to make Makes a lot of sense. What's your advice to, maybe different advice for these different parties, but to developers, owners, and contractors who are going to be coming to you for seeking financing for projects, you know, perhaps for 2024 and beyond? I know it's hard to know where things are going, but what would be sort of your boilerplate advice to them how to prepare to come talk with you? You know, we want to make sure that when they bring a project to us, we want to know that they've done their homework on the project and there's a reason that they feel this project, whatever it is, is going to be successful. Nowadays, if somebody, you know, came in and wanted to do, let's say, a four or five unit strip mall, strip malls are kind of the dying breed. And, sure. you know, fortunately or unfortunately, those types of projects don't have long-term tenants. And when you see one, you typically see some vacancies in there. And so if somebody comes in with a project like that, we're going to want to see that they have a lot of interest in leasing that space. We want to make sure it's in a good location, that when it is done and complete, there are businesses that it makes sense they would want a office there. If it's a residential or mixed-use type place, we want to know that neighborhood is the type that needs additional rental spaces for condos and apartments. There's all kinds of studies that the developer or the owner can get on that. So again, they have to come in and kind of make us comfortable that this is a project that is needed in the area, and they've done all their homework to make sure that the risk has been reduced as much as possible. So if it's a deal we approve and it moves forward, we're ready and have already addressed hopefully some of those risks. If it's a mixed use or retail space, a lot of times you'll actually get letters of intent, if not an actual lease that can be signed ahead of time. So that gives us a lot more comfort that once the property is completed, you've got your tenants already signed up and ready to go. Okay. So the letters of intent are from the actual, you know, proposed tenants. That makes a lot of sense. Right. The types of building that they're building, whether it's a steel building or 
lumber. A couple of years ago, steel was really a hot commodity. And if you had a project that required steel, a lot of times you're going to be delayed for the foreseeable future. And they might not be able to tell you exactly when you're going to get that. Those are the types of situations we really want to avoid because that just uh, increases the cost, increases the frustration, the interest expense, you know, obviously carries on and on while you're waiting on something like that. So again, a developer or a contractor that says, hey, here's a project I want to do. We want to make sure that they've gone through and looked at everything so we can be comfortable that they know exactly what they're getting into. And, you know, it's sometimes a sales project where they have to sell the deal to us. But as long as we're comfortable, we're glad to help them out. And that makes a lot of sense, Kent. I think I'm thinking if I were the one having to be accountable to the owner or I was generating the capital to do my part of the deal, I would want to jump through steeper hoops that your bank presents because, as you said, nobody wants to be not be successful and to be in a loan agreement that they can't fulfill when all those unknowns start popping up. It makes a lot of sense to me that, for lack of a better word, that you guys would need to be picky on the front end because you can't grant loans to everybody in every project. The experience of dealing with multitude of businesses year after year in a multitude and a variety of projects. And so when somebody comes to us and actually, I'll give you an actual example from just a couple of weeks ago, we met with someone who wanted to build a building for a business that they had a little bit of experience in. They had a contractor and the contractor gave them a contract and said, it's going to cost this much money. When we met with the person, they said the contract might be all the way up to what ended up being 50% more than what the original contract price was. And in an instance like that, I asked the owner of the proposed business, I said, that, why do you have a contract that is so you know flexible as far as, is it going to be the lower price? Is it going to be the higher price or somewhere in between? And the reply was, well, I don't really know yet, but they were already pouring concrete at the facility. So- wow. There's a good example of somebody that doesn't, they're excited about their business. They know that they're going to make it work one way or another. And unfortunately, as a bank, we have to make sure that all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, that we can to reduce the risk, uh, or we have to approve it with that highest dollar amount. But right. it gives us a certain level of uneasiness when those numbers and those contracts aren't nailed down way ahead of time. And so anyway, that one is a work in progress, so we'll see how that turns out. Very good. Because like you said, if it's not nailed down, the big number isn't nailed down. Even if it is, that thing's going to change. It's like a dynamic organism or something. The project, it just ebbs and flows and is in constant flux, I'm sure. So if you don't have a sense of where you're starting from, I could see where the bank be reluctant. Right. Yeah, it definitely is an uncomfortable feeling when they don't know exactly what the final project is going to look like or how much it's going to cost. And in that instance, we typically say, look, we need to have that nailed down and you need to have a budget, you know, a set of plans and you pretty much have to stick to them. Exactly. And from the business's perspective, if that were a contractor, that could wipe them out if they don't have that together. I mean, one project that goes under, that could be it if they're a smaller company, I would think. The worst thing that you can have happen is halfway through the project, the contractor walks off the job because there's a dispute over the contract 
and are there extras that should be paid for or shouldn't be and then it just turns into a big mess and fortunately that doesn't happen very often but it does happen from time to time and i think most all the time you can trace that back to that project really wasn't ready to go from a contract and bidding standpoint to begin with but for various reasons both sides decided let's go ahead and get started and we'll work out the details later and that's usually not a good way to enter into a project Certainly. Well said. Well, we have been so grateful to learn from Gant Harper, president of St. Louis Bank, in this episode of Build St. Louis. And we're just glad we can get a drop into the pulse of financing construction and to hear the kinds of questions and scenarios that you hear every day. And we appreciate what you all do and how you're adding to the success of continued construction and development, regardless of all the unknowns in the St. Louis region. So thank you so much for being with us today, Gant. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Kierkegaard designs spaces with careful consideration for sound and visual display. We are acoustics and audiovisual systems consultants that collaborate with architects where sound and communication are critical to the end user's experience. We have deep expertise with a broad range of project types and are world-renowned for our performance facilities and beautiful sounding spaces. Our team is committed to serving the communities where we are based, including St. Louis. Learn more about us at crookedguard.com.